Hello and welcome back to The Ruck. The French have already been at it for weeks, but we are now one weekend into the domestic season. Exeter got out of the blocks well. Saracens and Wasps stumbled a bit. Paul Gustard's new Harlequins ran up half a century of points. Nicky Gonover sold a dummy that was so good it was illegal. And Danny Cipriani made headlines that didn't involve the words police officer, tribunal or surely that man could never play for England again. This episode of The Ruck, entitled Bristol Welcome Back. Ashton Gate was one of the great opening nights, 26,000 people, a packed house, knife-edge contest. Jonesy, you were there, magnificent, or what? Just to rise above the actual the action itself, Owen, um, looking round there, and it, it wasn't just pockets of the stadium that were behind uh, Bristol, it was the whole lot of them. And I'm just thinking, you know, looking back to when the Premiership started, the founding fathers, the owners, etc., they had nothing to build on. The English rugby had not made a single plan for the future for the Premiership. And the, 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 the stress and the emphasis was were then on the owners and individual clubs. And the whole point is it's city v city. And on Saturday, on Friday evening at Ashton Gate, which is a magnificent stadium, I imagined then that the dreams of the founding fathers were coming true because that was the biggest stage and the biggest premiership match outside the finals I've ever been to and it just shows the possibilities of the club game. Lovely, stirring. No, it, it really was stirring, but um, maybe some introductions. Uh, I'm Owen Slot. The uh, dulcet polemicist you just heard was, uh, of course, Steve Jones. Uh, we are also joined by Stuart Barnes, new team hippie. Is that right, Barnesy? I've been taking in a few music festivals over the summer and I'm going to try and be calm today as a result. So, and I'm discussing the breakdown uh, with the, at the Cambridge Folk Festival. What do, they, what do they think of it? The Appalachian fiddlers think that Jacqueline is ridiculous <laughs> and they're great believers in the ruck. But there again, they are um, historically minded. Excellent. Pleased to hear it. And uh, our favourite uh, greyhound owner out of a class of one um, is, of course, the uh, evergreen Adam Hathaway. Hathers, uh, uh, good to see you. Just a quick uh, low down your up or down on the dog business over the summer. Well, it's all changed, actually, Schlotty. Oh, um, exciting news. Yeah, big, money, trans- big money transfer. One of our dogs has gone to Sittingbourne from Crayford, um, trialling there next week, and we bought a new one at Brighton by the seaside, so uh, should have a good night out there. At what point do we share in a greyhound and call it the ruck I can get you on next week how much <laughs> well, so that was easily done wasn't it easy piece of business ok so uh, six six intriguing games uh, of the premiership over the weekend who do we think got out of the blocks best I'm pretty keen on Saracens actually because bearing in mind they had a few players missing they had two guys yellow carded went to Newcastle and won Newcastle only lost three times at Kingston Park in the premiership last year Jamie George and he's banning from the front row union for the way he played. Um, too good. Too good. Too, too many yards. Too many yards, Too uh, handling too good. I think they'd be quite happy with that start. I, I'd say it has to be Bristol. A scrum under pressure, their deadliest rivals. Having played for Bristol and for Bath, I know that both cities really don't take defeat very well. Significant for them because it was their first game back. This wasn't just about four points for Bristol. This was about getting a foothold, getting self-belief, giving the, uh, as Pat Lamb said afterwards, giving the community something to believe in. So I think it has to be Bristol. Uh, it'd be excellent for me, Owen. Just going back to Bristol for a second. Um, I <coughs> totally agree with Stuart, but I have to say that um, scrummaging-wise, John Afoa was the rock there, and even he was a little bit dishevelled now and again. I, I hate to think what had happened to their scrum had he not been playing because they got a very lightweight scrum, but. 
It was fantastic. But the, the quickest off the blocks to me is Exeter. By the end of the Exeter-Leicester game, and I think we'll come to Leicester in a minute, I mean, Leicester had no answer to them. Uh, they attacked them at all points. They attacked them from short. They attacked them from midfield, where they significantly played Gareth Steenson, who I, who I like a lot. <laughs> Phil Dolman at fullback was out of this world, and the confidence was supreme. And talk about being ready for the first game. They were, and it seems to me that Leicester, the way they played and the way they came out, the targeting Christmas to, to start <laughs> the season. Well, okay, let, let's let's do the extra Leicester game then, since, since we're, we're we're on that uh, on that theme. So, to, to what extent was it Exeter really purring or or Leicester just backfiring from the start? Well, it, 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 I guess in rugby you always say it's, it's a bit of both, but I think it was the purring theory. You know, people like Sam Simmons who. Is he still looking for a position? I don't know. Was so effective. It's the traditional Rob Baxter thing, Owen. People like Ian Witten, sort of uh, 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 an average international player, if that's not a contradiction in terms. Completely playing out out of his skin when he gets there, you know. People like Thomas Francis, um, an average international player, is now advancing. Um, Luke Cowan Dickey, local lad from Cornwall. Just, you know, almost sublime as a hooker. And it was was the standout in that category, not Matt Kovacic, who we've sort of been sitting waiting for Exeter to do the magic on. From what I've seen, uh, it it finally seems to have worked. Listen, last year, I I think I might have been in a minority of one. You you were the only member of the Kovacic fan club last year. I was calling for Kovacic to be in England when he wasn't getting picked for Exeter, because Exeter do have a slightly different way of playing and that way of playing is controlling ball and it's not really scrapping so much for it now if you get into the scrap game this guy Kovacic can do it and he can do it on the front foot so I hope he gets a run because you know I'm sure Eddie Jones won't even know who he is uh, but he's he's worth a real look and the other thing I'd say about Exeter Exeter Leicester it looks to me like a, a, a battle of preparation a battle of coaching um Exeter are profoundly good at keeping the ball. There are issues, I believe, in how they do it, but if referees aren't prepared to just take them to task about it, they're as good as any club team around. And, um, you know, they come at you in wave after wave after wave. Then They're not the great offloaders that you'll see in New Zealand, but it's so hard to get the ball from them. And if it's the first game of the season and you are not prepared, they keep the ball. In the end, you will crumble. I'm, I'm sort of wondering with Exeter. I've asked this question openly in sort of pre-season statements, and maybe you just think it was a stupid thing to say. But I thought they'd have to come to this season with a bit more or something different, and that was kind of a conclusion you could take from the Premiership final when Saracens sort of negated their game and Exeter didn't only, have anything more. That's only Saracens. I mean, well, well, yeah. exactly. There's, there's ten other clubs who they've been thumping, and and Leicester were terrible. Let's be honest. They were, they were terrible. Just, Do we so, have to be honest? Okay, let's no, be honest. No, they were but, terrible. Yeah. Oh, they were awful. Just uh, talking about taking the game on, Exeter did not so much offload, but pass before contact many, many times. You know, it was picked out by the by the uh, TV people. And um, I just think they, they have changed up a little bit as well. Uh, as for Leicester, you know, this, they they knew when the season was going to start. Don't don't come and make excuses to say that we, we weren't ready for it. They, you know, but, but having said that... I don't think I. I think there's no no panic with them because as long as they get everybody fit and on on the on the same lines, fine. But one team knew what it was doing; the other team played as if it didn't know what what it was. But they about. were all fit, weren't they? they? They they don't have reams of internationals to come back. No, but to- what 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 the the coach uh, said afterwards was in terms of sort of endurance fitness, they weren't quite ready. But okay. I mean, they've got 
if you look at that sort of boy band backline they had out on on Saturday, Tumua, Tuilagi, May, Thompson, didn't give them the ball. Vianu. Vianu. Chris, I, I mean, that, on paper, that's the best backline in the Premiership. Yeah, it's amazing. Think. Should be amazing. Which boy band is that, though? The Monkeys? Uh, West, Westlife. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I was going to ask the, the, our great panel, as I did for who came up out of the blocks best, who started the worst. I mean, in my opinion, it would be Leicester, but but Jonesy, you don't have that such a concern for them. Look, I just I th- the thing is about Leicester. The, the only reason we're talking about them is because they're Leicester. You know, if it had been someone else who'd, who'd crashed like that, you wouldn't be talking about them. But it's, no, it's it also is, partly because they, they stuttered last season, yes, they, they underperformed did. last and season. And it is a long, long time. And, and people say Matt O'Connor can't be under pressure under game one. A couple more of those and he will be under pressure because the team didn't know what it was doing. Tuolangi now has got to really come through and, 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 and repay them for, the, for their loyalty in, in, in him. They don't know what they're doing. They've got Tumur and Tuolangi, which should be a great partnership, but it isn't. Also, some of those forwards are really blowing now. And whether or not they need new front rowers in there to give them a go, uh, I think they probably do. Tumur and Plotter now had just both come back from uh, Auckland where they played the yeah, previous weekend yeah. didn't they I mean well, was that ridiculous. was that a foolish decision it's stupid uh, I'll tell I'll give you another one as well and that was uh, playing playing for Bath Francois Lowe he came off the bench and Francois Lowe I think yeah. is an absolutely outstanding I hate this phrase world class but he's one of the best half dozen sevens in the world he was so far off the pace because he'd been in Mendoza you can't you know six days difference same applies with the Australian guys you know, we're not talking about going from the, the sublime to the ridiculous yes the drop off from international to club is, is substantial but ain't that substantial you can come there feel absolutely shoddy not train properly during the week and then expect to perform well that's a massive error you, you cannot do that I just wonder with Tamura especially so so George Ford's best club rugby was at Bath when he had Carl Eastman outside him. I think that's, yep. a, that's a statement of fact. Carl Eastman was sat on the bench while Tamua flew all the way back from, from mm. Auckland to play in that game. I mean, the, I would love to see those two come together again and see, see if they can repeat the magic of before. They, they were developing, Eastman and, and Ford with, with Joseph outside them, were developing into the best midfield around. Yeah. And it was a tragedy that Burgess mucked all that up and then, <laughs> and then they let um, Carl Eastman go because he's a very, very fine player. I wonder what Richard Cockrell thinks of all this Leicester nonsense that's going on at the moment. So, uh, Hathers, w- w- which would be your most backfiring team of the weekend? I went to Harlequin Sale and they got absolutely humped in the second half. That's a, I know they've got they have got a pile of injuries and obviously Ashton suspended for seven weeks. But I think that was a really bad result for Sale. They they were in touch at half time. Second half second half made a few mistakes, absolutely collapsed and. Uh, Steve Diamond was not a happy bunny afterwards. That's a very unsale like thing to do, isn't it? I mean, sell grit and fight and, yeah, and, sure. and, and make the the best the, the best of often limited resources. It seems to be an opposite type of result for them. Yeah, and also you'd think that Quinns are the sort of team who don't like that sort of rugby played against them, you know. But, but they uh, they actually look quite organised. Had, had a, even had a unheard of for Quinns. Even had a bit of biff in the shape of uh, Ronaldo Bothmer. Put it about quite a lot. So, so to what extent are, are you applauding Paul Gustard for? Um, I mean, that he, he couldn't vote for anything more than that, could he? No, it's a great start for him, but Sale were absolute. I mean, Diamond was spitting feathers afterwards. And and so, Gustard was. Uh, I mean, was he just he was satisfied? Very happy, but if I hear the we go again on Monday once more this season, I will 
be very uh, disappointed. <laughs> oh, this is what, one of my hopes for the season is that Gustav will stop talking as if he's just come out of an Eddie Jones camp and start yeah. to start reintroducing himself to his old personality. Talk about learning. He used to have one. Yes. <laughs> um, as far as the sale go, or when you're talking about resources, as I understand it, they they were they were allowed this year by their new investor. To, to, to spend up to the salary cap. So actually, in many ways, they've got no fewer resources than, than some of the other teams. I think, well, look, I've been really optimistic about all these teams that lost. I think they'll be incredibly difficult to beat at home, and usually they get going after Christmas. So I, I just think, I think Sale have a huge setback, kick in the backside. Uh, I think they'll come back. I think they'll bounce back. Well, and also, they've got Faf de Klerk to come back. He's a massive loss. He's yeah. playing in yeah, the yeah. Do you know what we're talking about Faf de Klerk and we're talking about, uh, Stuart quite rightly was saying, poor old Francois Lowe. It's all boys under the heading of structured season. Structured season, global season. They, they, they cannot have these overlaps anymore and everyone's got to give ground. International rugby and club rugby because that is absolutely ridiculous. But... I, okay, completely and utterly agree, but uh, there's, that's not going to be solved, is it? They've had their meetings of the, of the world calendar, etc., and whatever happens, the Southern Hemisphere is going to be playing their international competition during the start of our Premiership. So, if we want, if Bath want Francois Lowe and if Sale want Faf de Klerk, then they're going to have to do that deal with themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it, look, it, it's someone has got to give ground in a serious way. Okay, in the in the in the battle of of most disappointing teams or teams that should be most concerned, oh, I, th- I think it's a head to head between between Bath and Leicester. Surely, no. Barnsley, you're shaking your head. No, I mean Leicester haven't been great for a while, but you know they're top half of the Premiership. They're Leicester. You know, Bristol have just come up. Teams that come up always vulnerable. Let me tell you, you know, I live in the Bath area. I played for them for a couple of years. What happened Friday night was nothing short of blasphemy from a Bath <laughs> point of view. Um, so uh, I was moving from Bristol to Bath, Barnsley. Well, that was a, <laughs> that, that was a Judas-like moment. But it, 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 what about Newport to Bristol? Well, that doesn't matter. That's ancient history. Well, it takes one to know one. It, it made sense, Hathers. Judas was ancient history. That's what we call yeah, him, Judas. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, no, a blasphemy from a Bath point of view, not just to lose to Bristol, but to play so badly. I, Steve and I are going to disagree on this one, but I just think, came off that, and we, we talk about old Gustard coming out with the same old trite. You get a captain, Matt Garvey said, we made too many errors. And I try to say in the, in the Times today, we're not talking about Tom Homer's sort of somersault in stupidity. We're talking about the fact that Garvey is saying, you know, we lost too many balls. They didn't try anything. There's no. The only time there was footwork from a Bath forward was Zach Mercer, and they scored a try. Other than that, they trundled in their muscular, mediocre way. The backs run into tackles, and I just think this isn't about the first game of the season. It's about the Bath team. I watched uh, all of last season, and there doesn't seem to be any change up in terms of, of where they are. And I think they're in problems. I do you think do you think? So w- one thing that I that sort of became apparent to me during the game was it was almost a, a sort of a psychology thing. They don't seem to have that hardness when the contest really gets going. And the psychology of that game was interesting in that Bar- uh, Bath had everything for like twenty five minutes, and they 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 could have sh- and should have blown yeah. Bristol away. And when they didn't, that it naturally empowers the team that has defended successfully. So Bristol came back. But at that point, you just kind of felt that 
Bath's belief was slowly slipping away. And when Bath edged into the lead in the, in the, in the second half, you thought, oh, well, maybe they've got the grit and maybe they can mm. really dig in. But actually, it was Bristol who went, hang on a sec, we're not having this and we're back in the contest. It, it, it's like Bath last season and the season before, not just during a game, but during the season. People watch them and they've got a capacity now and again to really put it together at the wreck. And they, you know, get the headlines in the papers, Bath are back now, we're going to push on, and the coaches say we're going to push on. And if you watch them regularly and you know Bath and you know the psychology of that place, you know what's going to happen. They're going to go to Worcester or somewhere next week and get beaten by 15 points. Then they're going to lose at home. Then they might find a win. It's about the, the mental hardness isn't just closing out one game. It's being able to win one game at home, go away, dog it out. They can't do that. There are uh, uh, fundamental errors, uh, uh, problems at Bath, not just on the pitch but off it. Okay, so while we're on Bath, I don't know if we can do a drum roll or something. But Steve, would we na- would you like now like to introduce the uh, Dave Atwood? You are a hero. No, the brilliant the Bath, not the, uh... the blasphemous Bath. You mean? <laughs> I think they'll. I think they'll have an excellent season. I think they'll finish higher than they did last year. I think they gradually their their front row horrendous front row problems are alleviating. They scrummage rather well. Matt Garvey is far more at home in the second row next to Atwood. We'll come to it in a minute. I think their back row. I think even Stewart would agree the back row they had is they got an excellent back row in its formative in formative stages. Reese Priestland kicked at goal very very poorly. Mm. Uh, in terms of the errors, I agree. You can't keep on saying we made too many errors, but they did make so many silly ball dro- ball drops. Also, obviously, the Tom Homer thing was just scandalous and he deserves to be left out. But I think they had a shape about them. I think Jackson Willison at outside centre oh, he was good, has the advantage yeah. over Jonathan Joseph that he does bring other people into the game. Jamie Roberts has, has his um, critics, but I thought they used him rather cleverly when they were playing well. Obviously, they got a long way to go, but I think at least they knew what they were trying to do. And I think they will now sweep gloriously <laughs> on a long run of unbroken defeat playing magnificent football. They don't have a scrum half of the highest calibre. Well, be interesting well, don't forget, the, the scrum half is unfit. I mean, it'll be, Cro- but it'll be interesting to see what well, happens when Will Chudley goes there. When you say this, he is there. Yeah, no, no, when, 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 but, he start, but, when he starts playing, but will so he you say be? they haven't got a great scrum half? But they, they sort of aren't they sort of stockpiling almost very good scrum halves? And uh, I think Khan Lee, when he's playing well, is uh, is one of the best out there. But he's mm. the wrong side of thirty now. He's he's over the hill. He's a decent player, but he's not a top class Premiership scrum half. Chudley's interesting because Baxter's got this brilliant skill of getting a huge amount out of players, and you're thinking, is he that good really? And Quite often, a few Exeter players go away and you're thinking, mm, they're not quite the same. So Chudley's a big call for uh, Todd Blackadder and his management. And I think whether he can, if he can play well and can galvanise them, then that'll actually be uh, real kudos for the coaching team. But also, you know, fly half. Freddie Burns flits around. Reese Priestland is comfortable playing fairly deep, kicking a lot. Um, I just think 9 and 10 is an area where they're really weak and 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 the other area Steve could say all he likes about their front five I don't I tend to agree I think they'll be solid enough there but I just think mentally they're they're brittle they're frail I think they're one of the weakest teams in England from the neck up just going back to Dave Atwood because you introduced his name. Um, well, I did. I mean, I, Look, I wanted it, a drum roll. It, this, England, this is a big England moment. England scrum has been poor for ages. The lineup's not great. Their driving ball has become a national embarrassment. <laughs> Atwood was was <laughs> not only involved in all 
so many phases. He was quick. He made line busts. He actually broke through into the open field. He was he was he was fantastic at close quarters on both sides of the ball. He is exactly what what England need. And if he's not in the next uh, England squad, we'll know that there's some sort of savage bias, and he will take over from Don Armand as the most. Uh, unlucky, scandalously put upon player in English rugby. Mm, I think he'd be he'd be a, a worse case than Don Armand actually. I think. Mm. Uh, still won't get in. Well, lock is a very competitive position, mm. but what England have lacked is a lock of sort of Dave Atwood esque sort of influence, as in and power. Yeah, it's not, it's oh, not yeah. a competitive position. There's a load of mediocre locks competing. Well, that doesn't mean it's a competitive position. Can we just position. say that? Because when you look at, and if you talk international, you have to talk about New Zealand with the World Cup coming. New Zealand do not have that sort of player. They've got, a, I think, the best rugby player in the world in Brodie Retallick, and they've got a bloody good player in Sam Whitelock. Are we saying, Steve, that England now, and I, I know where my thought is, England mustn't say, well, you know, can we do the same? England have got to find a way to dilute and, and downgrade the skills of these players and, and pick different sorts of players. Are you calling for Atwood as, as a sort of a typical English lock forward full of power? Uh, 100%, but yeah. not a typical English lock forward because you could say that c- could mean John Kerry and David Marks. He is what the typical English forward should be in the modern era. That's one for the teenagers, John Kerry and David Marks. Yeah, sorry. We need, we, we need an asterisk <laughs> at the bottom of this, don't we? Make it Tom Kerry, then it's a bit more modern. <laughs> and Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is a competitive position. You can't say it's not a competitive position. There's a lot of people bubbling around there. Yeah. yeah there's how how many uh, how many English players went to uh, went on the Lions tour as locks? Courtney Laws, Marrow, Cruz, and Cruz played one game. Uh, and and, and you got Launchbury, and, and it was a scandal that Launchbury wasn't there. Okay, in all the all the competing locks, all the competitive locks, whenever they play for England, they can't even do one driving ball. Okay, it's well, embarrassing. Well, no, you you agree to buy stun science because no one can disagree with you. That is that the players' fault or is that a of course no one fault? can disagree with me? <laughs> <laughs> what was the first question Eddie Jones was asked at his first press conference? It was Eddie. Mm. Was Eddie we're, you going to pick Don Armand? No, 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 no. His first press conference when he came in, it, it was the question was Eddie, will you be trying to regain the 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 the, the missing power inherent in the English game? And I don't mean. Scrum, scrum, scrum. I don't mean boring kick and rush. I mean powerful forwards. His answer was 100%. That's exactly what you said. Yeah. Well, hence, hence the appointment of Dylan Hartley as a captain. And I'm amazed yeah. because, you know, Jones, through all the countries and clubs and provinces he's, he's coached, what he's never had was the foundation of a real nasty type five. And... For a little while, England were trying to play that way, and then that that disappeared a bit. And and you know, I think it's just he's amorphous at the moment. I'm not quite sure if he knows what he wants. If he does want what Steve's saying, and that is definitely what he said, then he has to have Atwood there or thereabouts. Well, the South Africa tour was the ultimate proof that he doesn't have it, wasn't it? I mean, that was where they got so shown up for by a better, nastier, more animalistic pack. Yeah. If the England pack were ever to win any ball, on, on the evidence of weekend one, what do we feel about Cipriani and George Ford? Ford look, looks like he was struggling against behind a pack that couldn't give him much ball, but whenever he got it, he didn't feed the, the, the boy band that Adam talked about behind him. Cipriani 
day one on his new club. I mean, it looked like he'd been there all his life, didn't it? He, he's the incumbent in the England team. He played a very decent role in the win in South Africa. Uh, created a score. He plays a debut for Gloucester with all sorts of uh, irritants going on around him. Creates a penalty for one try with a lovely pass and a beautifully timed run. Uh, the second try is is the highlight of the Premiership weekend with the quality of a pass. Now, I'll say this, George Ford can throw those passes, but Cipriani is throwing them at the moment. Um, I don't think Eddie Jones wants Cipriani in there. I get, I, I sense that he wouldn't have minded him having a, a, a difficult afternoon in Newlands. Uh, I, I watched Farrell and Ford get very tight together when that team for the third test was announced. Uh, I think we got problems here for Eddie Jones because Ford now is going to have to push the boat out because Cipriani is not going to give this position up and he's playing well. OK, Barnes, you, you touched on something. I think it's a really interesting part of this whole intrigue of, of, of 10 and 12 or whatever. If, if Cipriani's out playing Ford in Premiership week in, week out and is stockpiling evidence of why he should be the 10... Is is there an is there an issue of putting Cipriani and Owen Farrell together? Yes. Because they both like to run the game. Owen Farrell likes to be the boss. Cipriani likes to be the boss. And as you say, Farrell and Ford are as close as anything. And it does does the a, a possible personality clash, a leadership clash, present well, a possibility? Well, I, I wrote about this uh, before the South African tour. I said yes then, and I'll say yes now. Um, I think it will help if Dylan Hartley comes back as captain. That just dilutes the issue a little bit. Uh, but there has to be a moment when Eddie Jones says, who's my kingpin? And frankly, in terms of running a game of rugby, I know that Owen Farrell gives you leadership of a follow-me sort of um, Percy type. You know, he's the sort of hard warrior. Come on, he's the man from the north. Danny Cipriani, he's frittered about. We know about what he's done off the pitch. Cipriani sees things. Cipriani feels the game better than anyone in England at the moment. And I haven't always been on the Cipriani bandwagon, but the last 12 months, he has just run things for club. He came into the England team. By not doing too much, he showed how good he was because he didn't try and force it. When the moment came, he took it. Right now, Cipriani is not just the leading 10 in England, but he should be the leading playmaker behind the scrum. Well, I'll tell you what, if they can't play together, then there is something wrong. Uh, they just need their heads knocking together. But obviously, I think um, Barnes is right. I think Eddie would quite like to see Danny have a nightmare. And, um, it would have simplified the, the, yeah, the future, wouldn't it? But is there a case for playing Farrell at 10? Well, there's always a case for exactly. that. But we, but there's he, not, can, he can throw passes like that. He, he there's not a lot of alternative at 12 at the moment. And if no. and if, if you've got Cipriani with that magic and, and Farrell, then, you know... You don't, you don't have a great 12. You've got options at 10. You take one of the options and you keep Farrell at 12. And I don't think Farrell's as good at 10 as he is at 12 because he picks that line, I think, really well, one outside is 10. I, I think the, all I say is for Gloucester, they, they had a choice. Do they let Danny run it or not? Or do they do, do, do they let him indicate slowly? Clearly, Danny said, I'm running it. And the way they attacked, I mean, there was times when Danny had four people to, to pass to and he, you know, he picked the best one. Very difficult to defend against. I think that the way they play was a lot like what, how Wasp played last season. I think Charlie Sharples can look forward to a feast of tries as Christian Way did last year playing outside him. I just thought it was great to watch. He was flat up to the line. Clearly already loved by the by the shed, 
and uh, really interesting. And Gloucester are going to be a team to watch because they'll be entertaining as well as decent. Yeah, interestingly, I was watching it on TV at the Stoop in the press box there, and when the teams were on the pitch in their huddle before the match, Danny was the bloke giving the team talk. wasn't wasn't the, the uh, captain, so maybe he is running the show. Who's Percy, by the way? Lord Percy, Henry the Fourth, Part One. You know, oh, right. how, okay, how goes I North? Percy has a, Thrower, the Gander. Hal has a fight with him, and he ends up killing him. Come on, Jonesy. I'm so okay. glad I didn't ask that question. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet for only eight pounds for eight weeks. Search the Times subscription for more information. Love rugby. Then don't miss the Scrum Weekly from The Times, the game's best writers on the week's big issue, every Wednesday at thetimes.co.uk. Great, intriguing, lively, passionate start to the Premiership weekend. At the same time, uh, the Pro 14 was starting uh, for the Celtic Nations in, in Italy. Uh, very different sort of picture, interesting rugby, uh, but... It didn't feel like the the, the, the greats of uh, opening night that we had uh, or opening weekend that we had had in England. Is that fair or, or is that dismissive? It takes us all the way back to club versus country when the game went professional. The clubs in England and France picked it up and because of that, they get the support, they get the occasion. Now, whether Bristol versus Bath was any use at all to Eddie Jones in England as they make the long-haul preparation for Japan, that's one thing. You then look at the other league you go across the seven go west there and you've got Leinster on form the best team in Europe taking all bar two of their team to play against Cardiff Blues in a crowd that's not packed uh, and they can still win and you're thinking is this as competitive as it should be now if your view is that winning internationals is all that matters then Joe Smith will say it's absolutely ideal because Leinster are winning games, they're bringing young players through, but you've got to remember, crowds have a part to play in this. Now, I, I think when it's country first, nobody cares about it. You watch great rugby Saturday morning in the um, Mighty Cup from New Zealand, but there's no one there. Mm-hmm. You watch less quality rugby in England, but boy, it rocks your socks off. Same for France, Joe, because you, there are people I, there. I know, I know. I mean, you, you said last week that it's an outrage that the Irish teams don't put, don't pick Johnny Sexton and, and you say that it, was a, it was a B team ah. a B team for Leinster who played ah, who? 13 yeah, just a minute just a minute, just a minute I didn't say anything of the sort I said that Leinster got a perfect right to bring over whoever they want it's not up to them to drive the league but what I did say was if they can do that and win away it mm. is a shocking indictment of the league and I, I also said that never mind for a minute the player welfare aspects of this the four Welsh clubs can put the league on the map by forcing people to go there with their full side Johnny Sexton has played one away game in two years good luck to the bloke but that, that was, mm. I mean that was the disappointment about the Cardiff game if but, but, Cardiff but, but, had been able to punish exactly. Leinster mm. I mean, they, they, they had a 15 point lead and they blew it and lost by but one they couldn't. And, and then the, the four Welsh teams are so important because they've got to be competitive then Newport with all their new players lose, lose to Treviso who are obviously Im, Im, improving to, to me that Leinster not Leinster's gesture but the failure of Cardiff to beat them stopped what could have been a great day on, but on the other hand club leagues etc the Premiership and the top 14 in France they're not a series of international trials no. now, Eddie went to went to Bristol 
and uh, he was there, okay? Now, you can just say, oh, this has nothing to do with international rugby, Stuart, but he could look at Mercer, Atwood, Willison, Oren, the Bristol scrum half. What, mm. what, a, what a game yeah. he had. Mm. There's always evidence. And when you come to international rugby, you don't want to be knackered, but he, if you've played a series of tough games, that has got to mean something. But, Steve, what I'm saying there is the club game is driven by the imperatives of the moment, and that surely is right in term, if you want to have professional leagues. Now, I, I, you know, I'm not doing it this year, but I broadcast the Pro 14 against a lot of my English colleagues. I, I've often said I think at the very highest end, it's as good, if not better, than the Premiership. But 90% of it, the mid-table and down, I'm afraid, because it is there to serve its international masters, um, it weakens it irredeemably, and you can't get away from the fact... If, if professional rugby wants to grow, you, you need crowds growing, and crowds are not going to grow. Steve, talk, let's stay with Wales. Well, Steve, talk about the Wales. They will not there, grow in Wales mm. unless teams get really good. Yeah, Ireland's the exception. I mean, Hathers, would you, would you. Well, they're not, though. Hang on a minute. Glasgow will have players missing, Edinburgh will have players missing. I'm just saying, in terms of attendances, I mean, oh, yeah. those are big occasions. Well, look at these attendances there four, four and a half thousand at the Dragons, 5,000 at Connor, 5,000 at Ospreys. 9,000 at Cardiff. Pathetic, really, isn't it? Well, uh, yes. We're 20 years into, uh, 20 plus years into professional rugby. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the Premiership crowds are, um, are disappointing. Newcastle was brilliant yesterday. There were 7,000 people there. I, th- I think the game should have moved on. Um, <clears> but they certainly weren't all full this weekend when you probably think they should have been. No, but they're not, though. The, f- the first game in any league, even the, even the Barclays, uh, former Barclays Premiership, first game season, people don't turn out. Yeah. People don't turn out. I think you'll find that cr- crowds in the, in the Premiership in England have gone up every year bar one when they went slightly back. Now they're back up again. And I think the stadium building is the next great thing on the agenda. Okay, so Barnsley, so you, you you weren't doing to Pro 14 this weekend, no. But because you're dedicated, you're going to go and see rugby, you know, where it really counts. So you and I went to a, a game that, um, you know, not not obvious on the agenda, but I thought was arguably the biggest game of the weekend. Pretty obvious when Sky said to me, "You're doing <laughs> Trailfinders v London Irish." Well, I was trying to sell it as you know, you no, and, you and know, your love and, of the game, and no, and I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed. Uh, my time at the clubs beforehand. Um, it was a delight to meet up and have lunch with Declan Kidney again. I think he's a very underrated, forgotten, intelligent coach. Yeah, I mean, it, the atmosphere was very good. We had beautiful weather there. I mean, maybe London Irish brought a lot of the fans. Um, Let's just set the scene. So it, London Irish came down, they're the strong favourites to go up. If yeah. they don't go up, then the second strong, second strongest favourites by some distance are Ealing. Mm, they are. It, now... It, let's not. Well, I will. We promotion relegation is is a debate that goes on for for years. But I would just like to put to you just this question. I thought Vallis Way, the Ealing Ground, was charming and a wonderful place to watch rugby. It's tight. It's small. There was probably a thousand people there or something. No, it, quite a lot more than that. Okay, quite a lot more 3, than 000, that. Three thousand. They were sort of saying. And um, and I'm looking at that thinking if they go up, then. They, they're going to have to move somewhere else. They're going to have to sell most of their team and buy a better team to come in. And I, I was talking to a, to some of them. I can't say this was this was a consensus, but I talked to some of the fans after and say, is it not really, really lovely what you got here the way it is, uh, this atmosphere, this ground, your your players? And, and if you p- carry on pursuing your ambition to go up, then, then you lose all that. 
and 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 it's a totally different game. Well, I, I got to say, that. Um, it's anathema to me uh, if you're a player and you don't want to win, and it's anathema to me to support a team and think, oh, isn't it a jolly old afternoon? Let's go and have a couple of pints of beer and enjoy ourselves in the sunshine. You want to win, and rugby is now a profession and it is a business, but the business has to be winning. And I don't care if they have to move, and and I don't care if it causes uh, the premiership problems. The first criteria should be what happens on the field, and if the premier have to back down, and Ealing Trailfinders play at home with temporary stands, and it's up to eight six thousand, then so be it. When rugby stops having promotion relegation, then you don't have competitive leagues, and it's then it becomes what we've got in the rest of the world. It's a feeder system for the international game. Yeah, and professional rugby is more than just a feeder system. I, I would absolutely love to see Ealing go up this year because um, some of the comments flying about from Premiership Rugby, they've been made to feel unwelcome already. They probably won't go up, but it'd be great if they did. I'm sure they've got enough money behind them to work out the ground or go to Brentford or well, something like that. Well, they've got a wealthy enough owner who can do anything he wants. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's not, 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 in, not the case in point. As you're saying... The Premiership don't want them up there because mm. they feel it would tarnish the brand. And as they've got a wealthy owner, Premiership might be scared of them, you know, because they're not one of these 13 shareholders or whatever they are. I'll tell you what, in terms of looking at the, the overall picture, it was the hairiest game I've ever seen. Almost, I, I used to watch Dallas in the days of big hair. <laughs> but there were so many of those players that had huge hair. There was one that looked like a thatched cottage. Another one looked like the wild man of Borneo. There's Fang. It was always had, I just thought it was the best game for Barnet Fair and huge locks I've ever seen. The talk of Philo Paolo in the oh, second exactly, row. Exactly. He's your man. Philo, he's a boy. Absolutely, there were some weeds in there with short hair, but the rest of them were fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much, Steve. OK, we've got um, two, two items of the agenda to go through. We're going to try on the ruck this year. Last year we said we're going to deal with emails and flatly we didn't even read a single one out. Yes, we did. Here is, here is this week's email. My son has just turned 16 and just started in the rugby academy of his school sick form. His agenda reads, training Monday and Tuesday, game Wednesday, training Thursday and Friday, game Saturday. And because he's part of a local club, a game or training on Sunday... He's a front row forward. Uh, presumably a thousand of kids in the same situation. Part of me is incredibly jealous. Uh, however, is this too much rugby at su- such a young age? Does this re- risk injury? Uh, I think there's an easy answer to that. It's, it's, such a, it's such a lot of rugby if you're 32. When you're 16, I don't know, when I was 16, trained and played all the time. I, I think it's great keep playing I, I don't think it's too much at all would you have played twice two games a week at the yeah, age of 16 and, 17 and I played two games of football a week as well in Newport and train every single day the key to this is the age 16 what else do you want to do study maths well I, I would put it to you that, that schoolboy rugby players in the sixth form are a different shape and size to, to, to your lot 40 years ago was that, for, was that fair 40 or should I go 30 uh, 40 is about right <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Jones, you, you, you coached at that level. The, the, I, I've you've had, seen body shapes change in, in the last 10 years. I've seen more than that change. Our correspondent is totally right. I've been through this with both my lads and through 20 years of coaching and also coaching schools and county. It is murderous. You've got lads there, and it's the more promising lads, of course, but I coach people who, who, who play for their school because they should do. That's who you should play for because mm. uh, they are mates and you get this bond together. 
But then they also want to play for their club because they're under pressure from the club. Then immediately, the best ones, you get academies jumping in. Then you get the county thing. The county thing comes in ridiculously early. Second or third season, you lose players to a county yeah. when you should actually not lose them till the end of the season. And the game, as compared to the one I played, or sorry, even to the one that Stuart played, which was a massive elite standard, even at the age of 16, is brutal. Uh, the mums don't come as much as they used to, I can tell you that. So the structured season is as, is as important at this level as it is at the pro level. Take it from me. Well, I, I'm agreeing with you. So my son's not allowed to play for his club on a Sunday because he'll have played for his school on a Saturday, and I think that's right. And I, I think... I'd like to think he's so he's he's uh, 15. I'd like to think he could play Wednesday and Saturday, but I think week in week out that would be far too much. Maybe maybe three games in two weeks would be maximum. Oh, I mean, Steve, I, I take what you say, but there's an issue here, isn't there? Which is one of the reasons Steve's talking about shapes different. Uh, it's just so much more intense. We're going down the wrong route in that you know the competitive county stuff does come too early. It came later. 40 odd years ago but the other thing is there is time for gym and that time is not when you're 12 and it's 13 and that's what's creating when the time you're 15 no, you can sponsor, you're, you're, mm. you're completely right mm, you're, totally you're absolutely right but you can't stop this trickle yeah, you down can, you, you can. can't hold on progress does not have to go irredeemably forward you can go backwards and who you said can that progress. was that Hegel or, or, one, no or one of your Cambridge no, Folk good, Festival good, people good. I like that I no, agree. it wasn't Mourinho it wasn't Hegel it was me progress does not have to go forwards you can go backwards that's my point about the you know what i believe about the jackal because it's 20 years in the, in the process everyone's saying well you know you can't get rid of them yes you can you can ban it at at, 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 at school level you can ban it at amateur junior level Barnsley, i think we need you as our rugby talking, commissar talking, talking. you're coming in you're coming in as rugby just, commissar. Just, just one thing on that email i hope that all this training that's in that itinerary is um, teaching them how to catch and pass the ball because a lot of the professionals can't do that now. Fair point. That's it's true as well. Probably mm. is a fair amount of gym work in there. Okay, uh, chaps, we are going to finish up with the, our other re- new regular feature, which is God or Goddess of the Week. I'd like to kick off. Uh, my God of the Week would be Harry Thacker, uh, outstanding hooker for Bristol. Really struggled to uh, big hair. Really, big hair. really struggled to get a game at all for Leicester, and um, uh, so he went to Bristol. And as Joji says, he he fits the pattern of the week. Of he's got a fantastic barnet. Well, I'm not going to go for the bleeding obvious, Danny Cipriani. My um, and I'm afraid this lad's got short hair as well. My God of the week is Jamie George, who was I know Will Skelton was man of the match for series against uh, Newcastle, but I thought he was fantastic. And if Eddie's serious about picking the best players Dylan Hartley's got a hell of a fight on his hands Barnsley I'm going to go for the bleeding obvious it's right in front of your face <laughs> I, I, I was in the clubhouse at Ealing Trail Finders watching it and I'm not one sitting on my own with a mug of tea to start shouting and making strange noises but I saw that pass from Cipriani and my god that just lit up the weekend Tony Spreadbury uh, yet again my god of the week He's cracked out on appalling, appealing, goading, patting people on the head, has done has started brilliantly. The first time anyone um, tried to argue, and it was with the touch judge on Friday evening, the touch judge told him to F off somewhere, and spreaders came in, and he and, and uh, the referee came in, and uh, uh, JP Dole, and told him to go as well. And that set the tone for the whole season. 
Tony God Spreadbury. Okay. <laughs> right. As 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 the uh, podcast host, we I think we'll go with spreaders. Well done, Jonesy. You argue your point very, very well. Yeah. We haven't worked out what his prize is yet. We're going to send him a free copy of the Times. Is that it? Um, no, he's got a subscription. Okay, well, he's a lucky man, then. He's a lucky man. Uh, that was The Ruck. If you have any comments or points you'd like us to discuss, please email us at theruckatthetimes.co.uk. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, please uh, recommend The Ruck if you like it, because that helps other people find it. Uh, we will be back next week with a special. More on that later. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>